40 years ago, I was starting my, I was uh, in my second semester of my second year of, as a chemistry major at the University of New Hampshire. I was also uh, on the gymnastics team. And um, I, it was uh, a disciplined and it was a um, challenging life for me. And although I chose it, um, I wasn't really gratified because I found I was spending all my, my life indoors. I was spending my entire life in laboratories or in gymnasiums. And um, I felt like my life was really somewhat myop myopic. Um, my brother, Chris, at the time was down in Boston. And uh, he was going to uh, Boston College and I, he was having kind of a hard time adapting to life in Boston. And uh, when he and a close friend came up with the idea of um, heading out west to uh, check out what was going on out west. I jumped at the opportunity and lo and behold we found ourselves that spring um, shuttling a used van from New York to um, the west coast and uh, kind of in exchange for loading it up with four months worth of food and um, our backpacks for um, kind of I guess you would call it nowadays a vision quest. Um, so anyway uh, we managed to uh, have an amazing journey. We hiked from the Columbia River down to Yosemite in California, um, after which point all of us pretty much decided that the West was for us. Um, Chris decided to stay out West and go to school in Corvallis, Oregon, the University of Oregon, and um, I decided to head back East to um, continue my studies and finish up my degree at the University of New Hampshire, after which point I was fully intending on coming out West. Um, but prior to, come to hitchhiking back East, I met this amazingly generous genius inventor. His name was Bob Gillis. He went by the name Mateen. And this fellow um, had invented the dome tent. Now, I guess that doesn't ring too much of a bell, but because dome tents are so ubiquitous nowadays. But prior to 1974, virtually every shelter that hikers and climbers used up to that point were these A-frame type pup tents, which are cramped. They're not very wind resistant, they're heavy. And um, the dome tent virtually uh, revolutionized um, the experience of you know, uh, backcountry travel. Um, so Mateen was amazingly gracious to give me the plans, a set of working drawings for uh, fabricating my own dome tent. So I hitchhiked back east and I decided just to kind of mix up my head a little bit and. Uh, to try to make some money before I went back to return to school, I got a job driving a cab in New York, which, and I cut my hair really short and said, whatnot, I was just out, you know. And then um, the following spring, I returned to New Hampshire to go back to school. Um, I found a treadle sewing machine <coughs> in a garage sale, and I sewed up this 15-foot diameter double-walled uh, nylon dome tent. And um, I decided, wow, if I'm going to live in this tent, I'm going to find the coolest place to live. So I uh, hopped on my five-speed Humber Sports. And uh, the University of New Hampshire is in coastal New Hampshire. And it's along this system of estuaries and bays and these peninsulas. It's really gorgeous. And so I decided to ride out the most beautiful place I could find and knock on doors and ask people, you know, I'm a thrifty kind of student and I'm responsible. I'm not a slob. You know, could I set up my tent in your property while I go to school? And every door I knocked on, people kept saying, oh, you should go out the road. You should check out Ed Brown. She's a little bit down the road. She'd be kind of cool. You should check it out. And I'd just ride bike further and knock on the door, and the next person would say the same thing. I kept riding out this peninsula. It got more and more beautiful. Finally, I'm towards the end of Durham Point. It's all these stone walls and hay fields and uh, shag bark, hickory, and red oak and uh, white oak forests. And uh, I go down, and there's this rambling kind of a uh, 
cottage kind of thing that, that this woman actually built, knocked on the door, and this little spry, white-haired, high-spirited woman answers the door, and she says, uh, and I just, I gave her my spiel, and she said, well, let's go for a little bit of a walk. So we go for this walk, and she starts regaling me with these amazing stories of like the 1930s in the Canadian Rockies around Banff, where her father dragged her around, living in a teepee, her family in a teepee, while he oil painted in the West. I was like, wow, this one is amazing. <laughs> and, um, and so she eventually she said, well, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, I'd really like to try. I changed my degree my, my, from chemistry to zoology, because I thought that would get me outside some more. And, uh, <laughs> and so she... Uh, so, uh, she goes, what do you want to do with your life? And I just said, oh, man, I'd really like to try to get to Alaska and try to climb Mount McKinley. At which point she just stopped, her eyes opened up, and she said, that's very interesting. My father led expeditions up, up Mount McKinley in 1906, 1910, and 1912. <laughs> and she was Evelyn Brown. Her father was Belmore Brown, who, one of the, who, who wrote one of the most fantastic adventure stories ever written about Alaska. It's called The Conquest of Mount McKinley. And it's kind of a... The title doesn't really do justice for the, for, to the book because it's, he, he didn't, it's kind of an understanding of Mount McKinley as what Belmore. So anyway, um, <laughs> so um, I spent the next two years living this amazing existence as a student, 10 miles from school, riding my bike back and forth, but, and hitchhiking up to the White Mountains in New Hampshire and rock climbing around the old man of the mountain up on Cannon Cliff, Franconia Notch, uh, White Horse Ledge, all these beautiful granite. And there's this old formation called the old man of the mountain. So anyway, uh, these amazing people would come by Evelyn's place too. Bradford Washburn was a dear friend at the Boston Museum of Science. And the fellow who wrote this book, well, I got to, I got to study in Evelyn's library. And the library was festooned with all these amazing oil paintings that Belmore had done. This is one of the oil paintings that was in the library too. And it was all these oil paintings of Alaska. There was a rock from Brown Tower, which was named after Belmore Brown. Bre Belmore was one of the... Um, one of the movers and shakers in the founding of Mount McKinley National Park. And so Robert Bates, who was the author of this book, who was also the chairman of the American Alpine Club, he was the director of the Peace Corps in Nepal, he would come by and have tea with me in my dome. And he'd look at the dome and go, Belmore would love this, Belmore would love this. <laughs> so finally, um, after a couple of years, I finally got my degree to graduate. And, um, and uh, I didn't even freaking wait to go to, I didn't graduation, forget that, man. I just packed my pack. You know, I stuffed it, and, I, and uh, I gave Evelyn a big, big hug. And uh, she goes, you go to Alaska, Arthur, you just go for it, you know? And I stuck out my thumb, and uh, I hitchhiked here to Talkeetna. And, um, and I remember at the time when I was leaving New Hampshire, I, didn't, I wasn't leaving New Hampshire because I didn't love it. I love New Hampshire. I love the granite, the hardwood forests, the, the ancient mountains. And... Uh, and I remember saying to myself when I left that place, I just, you know, you know I'm going to come back here. I'm going to be an old man here in New Hampshire because I just love New England so much. But about 15 years ago, um, I, I, I saw in the news that the old man of the mountain, which was an emblematic big granitic formation that had been up on the top of uh, Cannon Cliff for hundreds of thousands of years, collapsed in a catastrophic landslide. And uh, it was just around the kind of same time coincidentally in my life, that I realized that I'm not going to go back east and be an old man back east. I'm going to stay, I'm going to be an old man right here. 